most influential podcast dedicated to the profession of pharmacy with over 80,000 listeners worldwide. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You are listening to Beyond the SIG, a prescription for transformative pharmacy care. Season two of Beyond the SIG is supported by the Pennsylvania Department of Health in partnership with the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association. Funding was provided through the Preventative Health and Health Services Block Grant from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The contents of this podcast are solely the responsibility of the presenters and do not necessarily represent the official views of the Pennsylvania Department of Health or the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association's podcast, Beyond the SIG, is a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. The Pharmacy Podcast Nation gets really excited. All right, I admit it. It's me. I'm the one that gets excited when I get to interview fellow rock stars in our industry. And the reason why I call you rock stars, that is our pharmacists, our technicians who are literally out there saving lives every day, is the fact that I finally have seen this scale of the belief and the drive to transforming what is pharmacy in the healthcare profession. And it's not what it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Even though pharmacists in those days were extremely important, just like they are today, but the, the the NDCs that are out there, the national drug codes that are out there, have just exploded over the years. And there's more disease states that need the professionalism and the information and the intelligence to dig down into those disease states and to manage those disease states. And we're talking about things like sickle cell disease or hyperlipidemia or pain management where the pharmacist comes in and really starts to drive solutions specific to the needs of that patient. Just started a conversation with someone who's very special, who's my guest today, who I'm so proud of because he's taken the helm of the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association as their new president. And Dr. Tom Franco is also a pain specialist in the world of pain management. And he is our guest today. He's the Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Wilkes University. Tom, I can't believe it's taken this long to get you on the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, uh, Todd, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, wow, I tell you what, you and I, I'm not going to start spouting out ages and things like that, but we're kind of in that same realm where we came from the 70s 80s you're probably a star wars fan like i am and we we remember thrift drug and we remember kind of like the jc penny mail order and the the whole kind of realm of before the internet era and now we're seeing the acceleration of pharmacists roles with the hand their hands on technology hands on artificial intelligence and there's so much more happening the pharmacists that are coming out of schools today have a lot more to think about than what you did when you graduated and what I did when I didn't even know what I wanted to do with my life when I came out of, uh, kind of came out of college. But I want you to give us kind of a, a stage setter about Dr. Tom Franco and, and why you became a pharmacist and, and what you're doing today. Well, I knew that as a kid growing up and coming through high school that I, I wanted to help people much like we all did. Uh, and then much like many pharmacists out there, I didn't want to, I didn't want to touch stuff with my hands. 
<laughs> no, I didn't want to get into the blood and guts and uh, putting me in a gross anatomy lab would, would not have ended well. So I knew that this was a, this was a way to combine my, I want to help people, but I am also not the touch kind of person. Uh, and I actually owe a lot of it to my neighbor's uh, father. He, he's recently passed on, but he was a pharmacist. And this was at the dawn of what we now affectionately call clinical pharmacy. And he was the one who first introduced me to, hey, did you know that you can go on rounds with physicians, that you can work in physicians' offices, that it's more of a tag team effort now than it is a you know, dispensing only role? Um, and he, he was a real motivator for me. And he introduced me to uh, the pharmacy profession, did allow, allow me to do some shadowing. Uh, and he was an alum of PCP and uh, told me to go down there and check it out. And I did. And that's uh, spent six years of my life down there. And, and now here I am. It's awesome. It's a, it's a story that sounds like it's building momentum based on everything that you've accumulated, the people that you've met, the networks that you're plugged into. I want to talk about the presidency and the honor of being president of the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association. You and I were on the board together years ago. Um, and I was director of a, or associates director of more of the business side of things and really trying to get other organizations involved in the in the um, in the PPA. But talk about the PPA in your role and, and what you'd like to do in your in your presidency. My real vision for this year is how can we have a, a, a vision of unity? And we just went through an entire process of writing a new strategic plan. So it's just about ready to go out. And we're focusing in on membership advocacy and identity. And identity is the big one for me because all too often we've heard about, well, I'm a community pharmacist. I'm a hospital pharmacist. I'm a long-term care pharmacist. And it seemed that there's the, the advocacy just for community and the advocacy just for hospital. And at times there's headbutting. And we know the profession is fractured. And we, we also realize that fractured, you know, we're going to fall apart, be it the PBMs or other agencies that don't have our best interests at heart are going to come in and fight for their what they want rather than what we know we, we can do. So I said, hey, we need to put all that behind us. We, we, got, we got to stop this us versus them mentality. And the vision of unity that we have specifies that we are pharmacists first, practice setting second. So it's a, I'm a pharmacist who works in a community setting. I'm a pharmacist who works in a hospital setting. And a win for one is a win for all. Yep. So using this mindset of, even though this might not benefit me, it benefits our collective us. And that's how we progress forward. So it's no longer an us versus them. It's only an us forward. That's the approach that I'm going for this year. Absolutely agree. There's been a, a, a light that came on in, in my head when I realized why pharmacists were struggling like they were with specific ways of generating income for themselves as consultants, as well as specialists within long-term care settings, specialty settings, community pharmacy settings, and where provider status has become uh, a, a big uh, push from a national perspective. A couple of our states are already picking it up. However, I also found out that it's not necessary to stand around and wait for provider status as much as I think it's very necessary 
in order that we're plugged into CMS's way of getting pharmacists paid for for what you do, just like a physician's paid or a specialist, a knee specialist or a brain uh, surgery specialist is 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 paid for what they do. Same thing, like you said, if you're if you're someone who just like yourself, if you understand pain management, titration in the world of opioid the opioid crisis, there's a specialty to that, and and you should be paid for that specialty and that experience in helping patients with that specific disease state or condition. But we've lost the brotherhood and sisterhood of, of I have a hashtag together RX and together RX is this whole initiative in the U S farming. I'm using wearing my U S farmy shirt today, as you can see on, on the screen. I know you can't, you can't for our listeners obviously see it, but that this is about coming together why do you think the biggest lobbying group in all of healthcare, the American Medical Association, is this big, huge Sherman tank that rolls over really anything that they want and pharmacists kind of get pushed to the side? Is because over the years, we've had this lack of unity at, at the structural, you know, lobbying level. And shout out to uh, Scott Knorr, Dr. Knorr, and taking the helm of the APHA, that man, God bless him, he has done so much crossing of the aisles. I've seen him working with Doug Hoy at the NCPA and Lucinda Maine, and like he is all about joining. And I think we're at the time in the history of our profession where pharmacists are waking up and realizing we're not going to change the provider status situation. We're not going to change the PBMs. We're not going to change specialty um, you know, opportunities. We're not going to be able to dig down into pharmacogenomics and take it over because it belongs in our tool belts. It doesn't belong in the belt of a, of a physician. You're not going to change any of that if we don't unify. And that's what you stand for, Tom. And that's why I was so excited to get you on today. It, we have to have this notion of being together. Like you said, it's, it's, it's that brotherhood, that sisterhood. And I'm familiar with Scott's work. Uh, I've, I've heard him on the podcast before, and I've seen his work uh, through our collaboration with APHA. And I agree with him. We, we're at a point where we need to start saying, hey, uh, there are there's problems in the system, and we need to work together as a team to try to fix that. And that could be the reimbursement, which I agree. You know, uh, as someone who does opioid titration or work with buprenorphine, that that's a specialty. That's something that should be reimbursable. But so is the person who works at your local Walgreens or your local CVS. That person has a knowledge specialty where they can work to help identify medication problems and they should be fairly compensated for those. Uh, more nuanced, more uh, smart-driven type approaches. Those, those are things that we should be striving for. And I, I agree, I think that one thing that I, I like saying is it's not about provider status. It, we got to call it something different because, you know, you talk to someone in, in Harrisburg or Washington about provider status, and that just sounds like you want to be a physician. <laughs> exactly. I, I like Scott's approach of payment reform because what person in Harrisburg or D.C. doesn't want to talk about funding and, and money? And payment reform is where it comes to. And that's that's something that we need to to strive to work towards because until we correct where the genesis of the dollar is, where's the incentive for a lot of these major companies to start getting behind changing? Why should they change the shareholder value? Uh, and that's something that I, I think is a broader conversation. We'll be on the scope of 
uh, of where even we might be today. But I appreciate Scott for doing that. And I think that as more associations get behind that, uh, we might start to see some change there. I agree. You did something very special in the early onset of your own career, um, Tom. And I want to kind of talk about that because it means something to me because I saw it firsthand when I was deep into the opioid um, opioid usage disorder crisis that's happening from a national perspective. I was part of New Season as director of strategy and went into different centers and tried to marry their protocols for starting treatment with a pharmacist medication review. And it stuck with a couple of their centers, but really not enough. And it didn't accelerate. And then I had to dedicate, I was serving two worlds. I was serving my full-time job there and I was trying to grow this publication. So uh, 2019, I decided to go the way of the entrepreneur and um, and now here we are. But you did something very special with an outpatient medication therapy management clinic focusing on chronic non-malignant pain on the East Coast with Geisinger Medical Center in Danville, Pennsylvania. I want you to kind of share what that was like for you, but more importantly, where you see pain management going, specifically putting pharmacists in charge of that treatment when it's kicked off by a, by a primary care physician. The whole uh, pain program at Geisinger really has expanded. Um, I've been with, with Wilkes now for, for eight years. And over that time, I, I've seen what was a program that started at one site at their main hub in Danville grow to the entire Geisinger system and its pharmacist run, which is the best part. Uh, it's a, it's a clinic based setting outpatient where patients are referred to you or to the pharmacy by their primary care physician or their pain specialist for complete medication management, collaborative practice agreement to change what you need to order what you need to. And it was a phenomenal opportunity. Uh, and what I really enjoyed the most about it is that it was the disease state that you could physically see the person get better. You, I had patients come in and tell me, I put the cane down and I haven't had to pick it up since. I don't need to take that type of medicine that made me feel that way anymore. And that is what really sparked my interest in it. Uh, and then that dovetailed into my, my current work with substance use disorder and being able to see patients literally turn their life around because of starting on, on treatment, uh, and the collaboration we have around getting people onto treatment. Um, but as far as moving forward, there's so much opportunity out there. We're seeing pharmacists get more involved from uh, both hospital settings. I know the VA system is highly involved with it in terms of inpatient, now patient pain management, appropriate use of opioids. There's a great program at uh, Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania with an opioid stewardship program. I know the folks who run it, they are awesome. And we're seeing that Long-term, we don't need these types of medications for most people. Some people we will. But having pharmacists being able to sit down and explain how these medications work, what's best for what type of pain, and providing that one-to-one -one patient relationship. We see patients on average about 35 times a year. Yep. That's a wonderful opportunity to be able to engage in conversations with patients. And we've been able to do that, not just for decreasing opioids, but for improving access to buprenorphine, access to naloxone, so many wonderful harm reduction measures. And we've seen, just look at the last 18 months, how much has gone on with pain, mental health, substance use, 
And pharmacists can, are the most accessible provider. We're the ones who are going to be able to not supplement a physician. And I think that's the notion that either AMA or other groups have is that we want to be the physician. And we don't. Right. We want to be a teammate of the physician and work side by side. And I always tell students this. I said, you know, there's like there's doctors who specialize in care of the heart and doctors who specialize with their extensive knowledge of the kidney. Yep. I said, there are doctors who specialize in their extensive knowledge of medications and how they work. And they're called pharmacists <laughs> because I guess drugologist doesn't sound like a good word. So pharmacists are that type of doctor. And I think the more we start referring to ourselves as doctor so-and-so, yep. uh, I embrace my love of being a pharmacist and I will share that with the world. But I'm now starting to take this, I'm a doctor. I'm, I earned that degree. I'm going to start calling myself that. And yep. doctors should not just refer to a physician. So physicians are doctors, pharmacists are doctors, and we should embrace that and be proud of it. Absolutely agree with you. Every time I start a show, we have PharmDs on. I always start off by saying Dr. Thomas Franco. And then, of course, throughout the conversation, we usually revert to that first name. But the reason why I do that is I want our younger generation pharmacists to say, don't shy away from that title. You've worked your butts off to get that PharmD. And that's important. And even though there are pharmacists out there back in the day that were either came through the the BS farm program or the evolution of the RPH. And there's we're still all family of pharmacists. However, there is a huge complexity that's being taught through pharmacy schools today and the amount of information that you're needing to learn in comparison to 10 and 20 years ago. So there's a lot more going on with the PharmD today. And that, of course, could be a whole nother um, podcast and in, in discussion, uh, Tom, I'm sure. I want to quote you and then I want to come back to pain management, even in the era of COVID, um, because it's really kind of accelerated and, and, and made things even more complex. This is a quote from Dr. Franco. We are trying to treat function, not get chronic pain down to zero, said Franco. The goal is to make sure the individual can function and get around their home. The, the the whole premise to this article that I wrote, that I read about you, which was published through APHA's Pharmacy Today, really shows that individual individualism care comment that you just made a couple minutes ago. And that is the ability to have our patients understand what a pharmacist is truly capable of doing. Because when that ball is passed to you, on the field of healthcare from the quarterback that is the physician and he or she passes it to you and says, here's the treatment protocol. And then the wide receiver or the running back or the, the, the tight end grabs that ball and begins to move up the field. It's up to you to look at the oncoming defensiveness, defensiveness, the defenser, the defense players that might be the payment issues or the on-site of another condition or some other role that it's up to you to navigate on the field of healthcare of where you're taking that patient's treatment to the goal line. And we have to trust in our pharmacists as collaborators to our quarterbacks, our, our, our physicians, to say, it's up to you to take it now to the goal line. And it's up to you to take this treatment 
to where that patient needs it. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That doesn't mean that we're perfect. You know, we're human beings, you're scientists, you're constantly studying, you're taking CE, you're diving into that, that treatment. But in pain management, how important it is to have a pharmacist that knows molecular and breakdown and metabolism and titration and the effect on the individual. Would you tell our listeners of your experience of how important it is to individualize in the world of pain management? It's immensely important. When I sit back and think about the patients that I've cared for, it's never been a one-size-fits-all approach. There's no cookie cutter. And what makes it even more difficult for, for that particular field is that there's not really a guideline. You know, CDC had a guideline. They had to revise it because people took it way in the wrong direction. Uh, there's talk about them revising it again. But unlike something, say, like hypertension or diabetes or anticoagulation, where it's a very if this, then this, pain management is figure it out. Try to do what's in the best interest of your patient. And when we look at education across, be it pharmacy school and, and medical school, there's not a lot. There's, there's some, some states, Pennsylvania is one of them, where there's mandated uh, parts of the, of the curriculum, but it's not universal across the country. And we see that the way that the current system is built for a lot of patients, I know they have maybe 10, 15 minutes tops with their provider, with their physician. And that's not enough time to try to get stuff done. But you go and you talk to a pharmacist, and we publish this in our state dispensing guidelines opportunities at the point of dispensing to do a proper pain assessment. Just a couple questions you could ask. Assessing their medications, prospective drug reviews, informing the physicians what's going to be on a urine toxicology screen, because that could be a whole separate story. But coming up with those individualized treatment plans is one thing, but communicating that to the patient is the other. Pain patients notoriously feel like they've been pushed aside. Oh, I don't need to be given the due treatment that I need. Or, oh, the system just moves me because they think I want medicines. They think I want opioids. And that's not the case. The, the vast majority of people just want to get better. So having the opportunity to sit down and talk with them and provide education, set expectations, those are things that I spend the vast majority of my time doing with the patients that I see. And the feedback from the physicians is we absolutely need this. And half the time it's we didn't know we needed this. Yep. And now that we have it, we don't want to let it go. Yep. Water on the knee for a specialist that focuses on the knees. And that specialist is going to come back to the primary care and say, hey, this is what I think we should do. And just like you said, medication is, is no different. There's a medication um, impact, impact on the patient and from one person to the next, pain is such a moving target sometimes. You know, I think I have a high pain threshold, but if I were in excruciating lower back pain, it might be a completely different story depending on a pain in my arm or a pain on my foot or a pain internally to one of my organs if I was having issues. So that's where it comes into the pharmacist realm to really diagnose, not diagnose, but follow up with the treatment that's in place to guide it on the field of healthcare to ensure that the individual individualizing that treatment is actually getting as much relief as possible. And um, I, I just think so much of what you're doing 
Tom in the realm of of pain management specifically because it can coincide with so many other things that are happening, whether that was an injury or whether it was something like sickle cell, which causes lots of pain in 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 many of the patients that are that are going through that. Um, drug addiction can be extremely painful, and that's a whole complexity in and of itself. But this is exciting to hear you really diving into this particular sector. And for pharmacists that are out there that are interested in this, I want you to network with Dr. Franco. I'm going to put his link, his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. If you're driving, if you're cooking, if you're doing something that you're just listening, don't worry about it. Come back later to the Pharmacy Podcast Network and Nation. Uh, we'll have this out on social media, this recording. Please share this with other pharmacists and uh, pharmacy owners, our community pharmacists, our specialists in long-term care. Tom, in wrapping up today's conversation, what would you like to say to the future pharmacists that are listening, our P3s and P4s and residents who are out there listening to this conversation right now? Best thing I could tell the folks who are newer or who are about to be you know, start their, their career journey is to not be afraid, uh, get involved and strive to be the leaders that we know you can be. Well, I just got done with a meeting, uh, with, with our state association saying, Hey, we want to start doing more leadership development for, for younger people. And we know that there are a lot of broken things out there with pharmacy practice. We know from how our people are treated in certain work environments to reimbursement rates and so much more that we can you can listen to other podcast shows about. You're the ones who are going to go out there and be the ones who are going to change it. And there are mentors out there who want to help you. There are people out there who want to see you be successful. You just need not be afraid to reach out to us. Uh, so get out there, get involved. We know you can change the system and we're counting on you to help us do it. Tom, thank you so much for being my guest today. Before we go, I want to give a shout out to Victoria Elliott. She's the CEO of the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association, and she sent me your contact information because you were doing a podcast. And tell, tell us real quick a little bit about that. So we actually started doing, uh, it's called Talks with Tom. It's on the PPA's YouTube channel, where once a month or more, depending upon what happens, we put out a short, uh, almost like a fireside chat that FDR used to do about what's going on with PPA to try to maintain transparency and to try to maintain our membership, uh, keeping them abreast about all the information. So one should just be coming out about our strategic plan in the next few weeks. I want to give a round of applause for you, Tom. You are an amazing pharmacist. You're one of my heroes. Um, and I want to just keep amplifying your voice and what you're doing. If you're listening to this show, I don't care what state you're in, please share this podcast with a fellow pharmacist, pharmacy technician, even an administrator, and let them know that pharmacists' roles are in enhancing, they're changing, they're transforming. And Tom, you are right in the middle in the thick of this. So uh, thank you so much for your, for your time today. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Beyond the SIG. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and others on the Pharmacy Podcast Network on any of your favorite podcast directories.